just watching little kids out back having a good time. It's good to have kids here. I know that my kids are sick today. At least two of them are homesick. It's that time of year, right? Viruses are spreading. Kids get sick. We get sick, but uh, God is good. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that you are the one who has come to rescue us. You rescued us in a really remarkable way by submitting yourself to to the cross. Uh, You died upon Mount Calvary uh, to take away our sins. And it's by your death and your resurrection that we are rescued today. We are free in you, free from the bondage of sin, uh, free from the guilt of sin, uh, free from the threat of hell, uh, free from the power of the devil. We thank you, Lord, that you have set us free, that you have rescued us by your blood. And so I pray that we would live today in that freedom, knowing that we are free in Christ. We are free uh, not to do whatever we want, but rather we have been liberated so that we might serve one another humbly, that we would be attentive to the needs of all. And teach us, Lord, uh, about the freedom that we've been given in Christ, the rights that we possess today, but teach us that, uh, that, that we, can, we can let go of our own personal rights and liberties uh, for the sake of our neighbor, for the sake of each other. But Lord, we need your Holy Spirit uh, to work these things in our hearts because, Lord, we do confess that we still have a sinful nature and that we need the grace of Jesus every day. And uh, we thank you that you give that grace uh, abundantly. So teach us, help us to open our ears today, to open our hearts to open our lives today to you through the power of your spirit. Amen. Well, it's good to be here today with you. We uh, had our men's retreat in Olympia with our region. We have an association of congregations, and we meet every fall in Olympia. But we had to leave yesterday at 9 a.m., just as the retreat was getting started. The power went out, man. Bishop was there. Other guys were there. It was kind of scary. That wind whipping through all those big Douglas uh, fir trees. And uh, so we got up in the morning. There was still no power. And they said, you guys are going to have to go home. There's no plumbing. Uh, the whole place runs on a, on a well. So we ended up leaving yesterday morning. But we still had a good time, good opportunity to gather on Friday night uh, with the men from our region to hear a little of God's word, to sing his praises, and to pray with each other. I also want to thank you. Another thing that I wanted to report on today is our Trunk or Treat uh, outreach. We had opportunity to invite uh, many people from our neighborhood here on Halloween night, uh, last Monday night. Uh, we had a lot of people who showed up and came and uh, were just blessed by this time that we had here at Maple Park Church. So I want to thank you for helping. I want to thank you for donating candy. This year, we did not run out of candy. The previous year, we ran out almost immediately because we had so many people, way more people than we were expecting. And this year, you guys just donated so much candy. I think we have about half the candy left over. So I don't know what we're going to do with that candy. I certainly can't eat it. Um, It's tempting because I have kids at home, and uh, they bring their Halloween candy home. And um, I'm tempted all during this time to be eating their candy. So last night, I kept saying, no, no. Because I was tempted, you got to eat candy. No, I can't. And then uh, Rebecca said, uh, she said, why don't you eat any candy? And I said, well, a daddy's stomach needs to shrink a little bit. And she almost started crying because she said, uh, but, but then I won't have my squishy pillow anymore. <laughs> she really is uh, sad if I, if I lose weight. So maybe I won't lose weight. Maybe I'll <laughs> indulge in if somebody likes it, yeah. All right, so today we're going to uh, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 9. 
And today we're going to be talking about our rights, our rights, uh, our liberties. You know, we live in a country, America, and we are proud of our rights and our liberties as Americans. We have the Bill of Rights, so we are so proud to be Americans because at least, you know, we know we are free. We have rights and liberties. So, so we live in a culture uh, that makes much of personal rights. And, and it's rare to find people who will lay aside their rights for the needs of others. Uh, but really, if you think about it, it's the heroes of society who sacrifice their rights, uh, their comfort, their time, and even their safety for the needs of other people. People who are awarded the Congressional Medal of Honor, they are those who, who go above and beyond. They, they are the ones who sacrifice themselves for the welfare of others. How many of you have seen the movie Hacksaw Ridge? Watched that movie. That's a movie by Mel Gibson, another great movie that's a um, faith-based movie. It follows the, uh, the life of Private Desmond Doss. I have a picture of Private Desmond Doss. He was awarded the Congressional Medal of Honor by President Harry Truman. Private Doss was a conscientious objector. He refused to take up a rifle. Uh, he grew up as a Seventh-day Adventist. And he was quite violent, with it, and he experienced a lot of violence in his life with an alcoholic father. And so he decided that he just wasn't going to go there. That he didn't want to, to pick up a, a gun and to, and to use a gun in the war, but he, he really wanted to go and he wanted to serve. He wanted to make a difference for his country, so it was his desire to go in as a medic. And so Private Doss served as a medic in World War II. And at Hacksaw Ridge, in the Pacific Theater, the Hacksaw Ridge is basically a 400-foot cliff that they climbed up. And they went into what many uh, thought was just an impossible mission to take out the Japanese in this battlefield. Well, the soldiers climbed up. They were uh, in a fierce battle, a fierce fight. The Japanese did have the advantage. They were ordered to retreat. Everybody retreated, went down the escarpment, and back to the base. But uh, they knew that they were leaving troops behind who were in the kill zone. And so there were many troops that were left behind injured. They, they couldn't get themselves out. So Private Doss didn't follow the order to retreat. He stayed without a weapon. And he carried one injured soldier out after the next. He lowered them down to safety. And every time Private Doss rescued a fellow soldier, he would pray, Lord, please help me get one more. So he would pull a soldier out. Lower him to safety. He would, in the movie, it showed him laying on the ground. Lord, please help me get one more. And he'd head back in. He said he, he probably rescued about uh, 50 men that day. Uh, his soldiers, fellow soldiers said, no, no, it's probably more like 100. So they settled on an estimate of 75 
people that he rescued that day. It's from the movie Hacksaw Ridge. So men uh, have sacrificed their own comfort, their own security for the needs of others. You see, Desmond Doss had every right to retreat to safety. But he didn't retreat to safety. He stayed in the fight. He sacrificed himself for the needs of others. And I believe the same is true within within the ministry of the church for 2,000 years. Women have faithfully preached and suffered. Men have faithfully preached and suffered for the sake of the gospel. Christianity would not be where it is today in the world if it wasn't for those people who committed themselves to bringing the good news of the gospel even when it's unsafe, it's uncomfortable, it costs an individual something. If we're going to be faithful in bringing the gospel to the world, it's going to cost us something. It's going to require sacrifice of ourselves. And I believe that Maple Park Church is here today, has been here since 1960, because women and men have faithfully served and sacrificed and given for the sake of the gospel here in Linwood. And I believe that our our future as a congregation is based on that same mentality. We need to be willing to give up our own rights to whatever it is that, that we indeed are, are, have a right to for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That women and men and children, that people will hear the good news of their liberation in Jesus Christ. That Jesus came to set the captives free. That he came as the rescuer of humanity. That if any trust in him as Savior, they too will be saved and have everlasting life. So I have to ask myself this question, when was the last time I sacrificed of myself, my comfort, what I feel are my rights for the sake of the gospel? So when was the last time you sacrificed your own rights for the sake of the gospel? I think it's easy for, for church and the ministry of the gospel to become more of a hobby for us. It's something that we do because we enjoy it and we get, we, we get something out of it. Rather than the work of the church being for the benefit of others or the benefit of our neighbors. You see, the, the work of the gospel, the work of the char- church is something that we do even when it's not convenient or comfortable for ourselves. It requires sacrifice. And 1 Corinthians 9, Paul speaks about laying aside his rights... As an apostle, for the sake of those who have not been yet rescued or liberated by Jesus through the message of the gospel. So we're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, continuing our sermon series on a messy church, but a perfect Savior. And just before we get into into verse 1, I'll say that, that I think that when we are only focused on our own rights... It doesn't help the messiness that exists within all churches. 
Churches become healthier when we lay aside our rights for the needs of others. A church becomes much healthier and much uh, more effective in the ministry to which Christ has called us. So, but we're going to 1 Corinthians chapter 9 today, beginning with verse 1. In here, the Apostle Paul writes, he says, Am I not free? He says, Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not the result of my work in the Lord? And he says, Even though I may not be an apostle to others, surely I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. So we'll stop there for now, looking at verses 1 and 2. Some must have questioned if Paul really was an apostle of the Lord. They question, is that Paul guy, is he a true apostle? I don't know about that Paul guy. You know, after all, he traveled around and he persecuted Christians. Is he really a true apostle? Well, we, we know that Paul was a true apostle because his calling as an apostle was confirmed by the church. The very fact that there was a church that was established in Corinth is proof of his apostolic calling, his call from God. And, and his ministry as an apostle was confirmed by the church. But there is another reason some may have questioned Paul's authenticity as an apostle because unlike other apostles he refused to take a salary uh, for his, uh, his work as an apostle. So he didn't, he didn't collect a paycheck I guess you could say. They didn't have checks back then at least I don't think. So he didn't receive any compensation for his Work or as an apostle, some some some, some might be, might have been saying, well, maybe he's not really an apostle. So rather than collect a salary, which he had a right to, uh, he had a right to receive a living from his work as an apostle. He worked as a tent maker. By trade, Paul was a craftsman. He sewed canvas into tents. And so he supported himself in the ministry by making tents. But he's not going to, he's not going to say that, that, uh, that, that preachers should never receive a salary. He's actually going to make a case, beginning with verse 3, for why preachers should make a living uh, from their, their work. So verse 3, he says, this is my defense to those who sit in judgment on me. He says, don't we have the right as apostles to food and drink? Don't we have the right to take a believing wife along with us? As do the other apostles and the Lord's brother and, and even Cephas. And who's Cephas? Does anybody know? Cephas is Peter. So they had a right to a salary. They had a right to have a wife. And then he says in verse 6, Or is it only I and Barnabas who lack the right to not work for a living? He says, Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Well, of course, nobody serves as a soldier at his own expense. Who plants a vineyard and does not eat its grapes? Well, of course, if you're going to plant a vineyard, you're going to, to, to eat of the fruit. Who tends the flock and does not drink the milk? Do I say this merely on human authority? 
Then he appeals to the Old Testament. Doesn't the law say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses, do not muzzle an ox while it's treading out to the grain. In other words, don't treat animals cruel in a cruel way. If an animal is threshing grain, let it eat. Is it about oxen that God is concerned? Surely he says this for us, doesn't he? Yes, this was written for us because whoever plows and threshes should be able to do so in the hope of sharing in the harvest. If we have sown spiritual seed among you, is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you? If others have this right of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more? But we did not use this right. He sacrificed his right to collecting a salary from the churches. But we did not use this right. On the contrary, we put up with anything. And here's the key. He's focused on the well-being, the welfare, the benefit, attentive to the needs of his, of his neighbor. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder, rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. So Paul uses the example of the soldier, the vine dresser, and the shepherd of, as examples of those who receive a living from their labor. He appeals to the Old Testament about the ox that's treading grain. You see, those who are called to preach, they have a right to receive a salary, to receive something uh, in compensation for their call. In other words, the church has a responsibility to preachers uh, to take care of them, to make sure they're fed, to make sure that they're housed, to make sure that they have their needs taken care of. So then we go to verse 13, and he appeals even to moral testament uh, proof for this. Verse 13, don't you know that those who serve in the temple, so he says, look at the temple in Jerusalem. Don't you know that those who serve in the temple get their food from the temple? And that those who serve at the altar share in what is offered on the altar? In the same way, the Lord has commanded, here it is, that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. But now, he's made this point, preachers have a right to receive a salary. But then look at verse 15. He says, but I have not used any of these rights. He says, and I'm not writing this in hope that you will do such things for me. So he said, I'm not writing this so that you'll start paying me. For I'd rather die than allow anyone to deprive me of this boast. For when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast since I am compelled to preach. And he says, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. And he says, I, if I preach voluntarily, I have a reward. If not voluntarily, then I'm simply discharging the trust committed to me. Verse 18, what then is my reward? Just this, that in preaching the gospel... I may offer it free of charge and so not make full use of my rights as a preacher of the gospel. So there's nothing wrong, and actually uh, pastors have a right to a salary. It's a good thing to pay your pastor. But a pastor can forego that right for the sake 
of others. You see, a major aspect of Paul's evangelistic ministry as he traveled about preaching the gospel is that he did not want to create any stumbling blocks. He didn't want to put anything in the way of anybody coming to Jesus. There's a danger in preaching. Some people who who preach, they have charismatic and engaging personalities. They have a way naturally of moving a crowd and what happens then? All the people come a-flooding in. And when the people come a-flooding in, so does the money. And sometimes, sometimes the preacher can fall more in love with the money than the people. So they're more concerned about the salary and the benefits than they are with the people to whom they're called to preach. This is made evident in the lives of many famous preachers. We've seen it on TV. Making appeals for jets. <laughs> and all sorts of luxury items. You know, I think many of those men and women started out really with uh, pure motives. Really had a call and a heart to preach the gospel. But the deceitfulness of riches led them astray. So Paul, his sole focus was the mission to what Jesus had called him. Paul was free in Christ. He belonged to no one but Jesus. He even had a right to collect a salary. But how did Paul use his freedom in Jesus? Let's look at verse 19. Verse 19, he says, Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone. Made himself a slave to anyone. Why? What was the reason? The purpose to win as many as possible. So he laid aside his rights so that he would be effective in the ministry of the gospel. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law. So as to win those under the law, to those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. Though I am not free from God's law, but under Christ's law. So as to win those not having the law, to the weak, I became weak to win the weak. And he says, I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. And he says, I do all this for the sake of the gospel. That I may share in its blessings. Paul realized that the blessings of the gospel is not found in, 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 in what you can receive from preaching, but the blessing is found in being able to touch people. That truly is the blessing of the ministry, to be able to touch people with the truth of Jesus. So Paul did whatever he could to make his life and his message relate to his audience. Paul didn't want to put any stumbling blocks in the way of his uh, his, his goal of preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. He, he didn't want to offend other people with his preferences. So when he was around his Jewish brethren, remember Paul raised a Jew. Man, if there ever was a, a faithful Jewish person, it was Paul. 
I mean, he had his stuff together when it came to being a Pharisee. So when he was around uh, his Jewish brethren, to whom he desperately wanted to come to faith, to whom he was witnessing to, Paul would uh, observe Jewish customs because he didn't want to offend his Jewish brethren. So the Jews, he became a Jew. Paul would observe Jewish rites when he was around Jews to whom he wanted to share the gospel. He wouldn't pull out a pork chop. Uh, when he was around his Jewish friends, he, he, wouldn't, he would make sure that he was observing uh, strictly the Jewish holidays and dates. You know, he knew that he was free to eat whatever he wanted because he was free in Christ. If he wanted a pork chop, he could have a pork chop. If he wanted shrimp, he could have shrimp. But in order not to offend, he would forego his rights. He knew that he was free to take off certain Jewish holidays because he's no longer bound by those holy days of the Jewish calendar. But in order not to offend his Jewish brethren, he became like a Jew. And he would go to synagogue and he would observe the feasts and the festivals of his Jewish heritage. Paul was free, but attentive to the needs of all. So when he was with Jews, he, he, he didn't want to create unnecessary stumbling blocks. In turn, when Paul was with his non-Jewish friends, he, he didn't want them to feel uncomfortable with, with what he was used to growing up as a Jew. I'm sure that many of the preferences that Paul had in life stemmed from his upbringing but when he was around his Gentile friends, he didn't want them to feel like they had to uh, feel uncomfortable at accommodating to, to his own preferences. So he would eat what was set before him. He would, he would um, accommodate himself to Gentiles in order that he might have a clear path to sharing the message with them. Even though Paul may have had certain preferences growing up culturally as a Jew. Then when it came to those with a weak conscience, we talked about this already. Those who had a weak conscience. Some people really had a problem with those who ate meat that was used in, in temple sacrifices. Meat that was used in the sacrifice to a false god. Paul says you're free to eat that meat that was used in temple sacrifice. You're not to worship false gods. You're not to participate in any worship of false gods. But if there's meat that's available in the market that was used and sacrificed to false gods, you can buy that meat and you can eat that meat. But many people didn't feel comfortable doing that. They, they couldn't make an emotional disconnect between that meat that was used in idol sacrifice. And so for the weak, for those that, whose conscience is still... Uh, had a difficult time with idle meat. He wouldn't eat idle meat around them. Paul put his neighbor, his neighbor's need, before his own need. He sacrificed his rights for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we too are called to sacrifice ourselves for the sake of spreading the message of the gospel. 
And here's the thing, we cannot expect unbelievers who enter in, people from our community who we engage with, to bend over backwards and become just like we are before they trust in Jesus. We can't expect them to clean themselves up before they're worthy to receive the message of the gospel. That's not the way it works. It's like telling a dirty person, well, you need to take a shower You need to clean yourself up. You need to get clean before you take a shower. Makes no sense, right? You you enter into the church as a sinner. I enter into this church. I entered into this place this morning as a sinner in need. I need Jesus. I need him today. I need him today as much as I needed him when I believed so long ago. So many of the people who enter into our lives, they're not living like Christians. They're not believing like Christians. They don't look like us. They, we live in a very culturally diverse community now. You know, back in 1960... This neighborhood look, oh, who was here back in 1960? Anybody here in Linwood, Everett? No? All right. Nobody here was here back in 19, I know, Judy, you were here, weren't you? 61. I was off by a year. 70. Things changed? Yeah, yeah. Things have changed. So we have cultures, we have lifestyles, we have all sorts of things that were, that were, uh, Different world. And living in a different world, we need to do what we can so they don't create any barriers to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we're called to sacrifice, sacrifice for the sake of spreading the message of the gospel. Now, here is one thing that we are never called to sacrifice that is the truth of Scripture. We hold the truths of Scripture and we don't let go. There are some things that we hold with an open hand for the sake of others. Holding on firmly to our theology, to the Scriptures, to our doctrine. Yet those things which sometimes we make holy and they're not meant to be holy, we can let go for the sake of others. So we cannot expect unbelievers to bend over backwards and become just like us before they trust in Jesus. It might even be that many of our so-called Christian ways are not biblically mandated. So we may think that some things are holy and they're not. And we too, in the liberty that we've been given in Jesus, we can forego our rights and prerogatives for the needs of our neighbors. I want to tell that. I've been telling this story since I was a youth pastor in... Marysville, on a dangerous seacoast where ships often, where shipwrecks often occur, there was a, once a, a crude little life-saving station. That's after it had been developed and such. The building was just a hut and had only one boat, but the few devoted members kept a constant watch over the sea. 
They would keep constant watch over the sea with no thought for themselves. They went out every day and night tirelessly searching for shipwrecked victims. And so this is one of those life-saving stations. My family and I, we had opportunity to take our travel trailer out, out to Cape Cod. And that's one of many of the life-saving stations that were built along the coast, along the Cape there. So these men and women, they would volunteer tirelessly, keeping watch over the stormy seas. Many lives were saved by this wonderful little life-saving station, and so it became famous. Some of those who were saved and various others in the surrounding area wanted to become associated with the station, and they gave their time, money, and efforts to support the work. New lifeboats were bought and new life-saving crews were trained. The little life-saving station grew. Some of the members of the life-saving station were unhappy that the building was so crude and poorly equipped. They felt a little more comfortable space should be uh, provided as the first refuge for those who were saved from drowning. So they replaced the emergency cots and the emergency beds and put in better furniture. Now the life-saving station became a popular gathering place for its members. And they decorated it beautifully and furnished it exquisitely because they used it as a sort of social club. Uh, is, it, is it possible for churches to become more of a social club than a life-saving station that Jesus intended for it to become? Fewer members were now interested in going to sea on life-saving missions, so they hired lifeboat crews to do the work. The life-saving motif still prevailed in the club's decoration, and there was a, 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 a lifeboat in the room where the club met. It was sort of just set there as a, as a piece of art. About this time, a large shipwreck occurred off the coast, and the hired crews brought in loads of cold, wet, half-drowned people. These people were dirty and sick, and some of them... Their skin color wasn't the same as theirs. And some had, uh, had other lifestyles that they didn't agree with. The beautiful new club was considerably messed up. So the property committee immediately had a shower house built outside the club where victims of the shipwreck could be cleaned up before coming inside. At the next meeting, there was a split in the club members. Split in a club membership? Have there ever been splits in churches? Most of the members wanted to stop the life-saving activity because it was so unpleasant. A hindrance to the normal social life of the club. Some members insisted on life-saving operations as the primary purpose. And those people pointed out that they were still called a life-saving station. But they were voted down and told that if they wanted to save the lives of shipwrecked victims in those waters, they could begin their own life-saving station down the coast, which they did. And as the years went by, the new station experienced the same changes that occurred in the old. And it evolved into a club, and yet another life-saving station was formed. History continued to repeat itself. And you visit the coast today, you'll find a number of exclusive clubs along the shore. Shipwrecks are frequent in those waters, and some of the people drown. We live in a culture 
And I believe that even with it slipped into Christianity, we make much of our personal rights. Rarely will people lay aside their rights, their comfort. But it's the heroes of society who sacrifice their rights, their comfort, their time, and even their safety for the needs of others. So when was the last time you did something for someone that was a sacrifice to you? A sacrifice of your time. A sacrifice even of your comfort. Why do we do this? Why do we live this way? Well, it was Jesus. It was Jesus who gave everything. The Bible says we love because he first loved us. Motivated by the amazing love of Jesus Christ, by his sacrificial death upon the cross, we are a people who cannot help but be overcome by that amazing love. And as a people who are overcome by the amazing love and the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we cannot help but be attentive to the needs of our neighbors. To bring the message, to bring the love, to bring the comfort that Jesus has given to us. Let's pray together. Lord, we come before you as those who are in desperate need. We're just like those who have experienced a shipwreck. And some people may be here today saying, my life is a shipwreck. But thank you that you're still in the rescue business. You come to us, you pull us out. You give us new life. You make us new people. We thank you for that, Lord. We thank you. And so, Lord, I pray that our congregation would continue to be and, and intensify as a reflection of you in this community. That we would be a church that would sacrifice our preferences for the needs of our neighbors. That we would serve our neighbors that we would share with our neighbors. That this could be a place where people could come in who are a mess, who are dirty. Maybe they'll literally stink. But we'll wrap our arms around them because Jesus has already wrapped his arms around them. Pray that you would do this in our midst. We ask for your Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.